Well, hey everyone, welcome to episode 181 of F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen. This week on the podcast, I sat down and revisited with one of our first guests, Eric Bennett. Eric is arguably one of the best landscape photographers of the past decade. He has a unique vision and style that I greatly appreciate. He is also a fellow co-founder of the Nature First Photography Alliance and a fellow beer connoisseur. Eric is one of the most passionate stewards of the public lands that I've ever met, and it really shines through in his photography. I really enjoyed our discussion this week, and I hope you will as well. Eric and I discussed some interesting topics this week, including Eric's approach to organizing and curating his online photography gallery, Eric's approach to making personally meaningful photographs, and Eric's new book called Conversations with Nature, and a lot more. Over on Patreon this week, Eric and I discussed the power of mentorship in a digital world and how both of us have leveraged these relationships in our pursuit of better photography. Okay, let's get to the show. Eric Bennett, man, welcome back to the show. Thanks a lot, Matt, for having me on again now. I think, was that like 2017 when I was on last time? Episode 41. <laughs> Crazy. And now you're on yeah. episode what? Uh, what was today? Like 171? <laughs> Jeez. It yeah. seems like it wasn't that long ago. Yeah, I know. And then you came back for the, the roundtable conversation. Yep. That was episode which 100. Was a, it was. So... You know, you come by every every 50 or so episodes to check in and make sure we're not messing things up. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> no, man, I honestly dude, I've um really appreciated your friendship since 2017 and you know, you kind of went out on a limb and was like, "Hey, can I call you and give you some advice about the podcast?" And I was like, "Yeah, of course. I barely know you, but let's do it." And you gave me some really great advice and I've been trying to like literally every week when I record, I'm remembering what you told me because I have this tendency to try to push things forward too quickly. So I appreciate the advice you gave me. For sure. Uh, I haven't been able to listen to like every single episode because there's just so many now, but all the ones that I have been listening to, like I've been trying to constantly listen as much as I can and like you've been doing a great job. So cool. Thanks, man. No, I appreciate it. And um I've been really liking all of the photography that you've been putting out since 2017. It's You've been spending a lot of time in the Wind River range, which I'm incredibly jealous about. Yeah, it's uh, pretty awesome in there. I just have one request. Whenever I say Wind Rivers in this episode, can you bleep it out? <laughs> <laughs> right, just I was in the beep. Okay, yeah. cool. I'd appreciate that. that. <laughs> I've actually never used the bleep, so well, that might be a new learning experience for me. Awesome. Um, yeah, no, you've been doing a super good job, and I think it's like really beneficial for everybody to uh, – I mean, you've had so many great photographers on now. It's crazy. And I'm sure for you that's been like super humbling and enlightening to be able to talk to all these people. That's like a great privilege that you have. Yeah, it's it honestly is um... – one of the coolest things I get to do every week is have just really casual chats with some of the greatest minds in our industry. It's, it's really 
been quite the experience, present present company included, of course. <laughs> Thanks, dude. Um, so, like, you've done all of these interviews now, like, just getting to know people, asking, like, how they got started, all the basic stuff, like, and I'm sure there's more other people that, more people to interview now, but, like, uh, wh- I don't know, what's kind of your, where are you hoping to see the podcast go, like, from now, like, here forward? Are you, do you have any other ideas or... You know what I mean? Yeah, man. I mean, yeah, it's uh, it's been interesting because I actually have more people reaching out to me now, which has been very nice because honestly, uh, outreaching to people does take a lot of time. Yeah. But, but I, one of the focuses I would love to do in 2020, well, I guess it, by the time I get around to it, it'll be 2021, but I would love to have more people with, uh, diverse backgrounds, like in terms of ethnicity and perhaps, you know, the focus of their photography might be a little bit broader than landscape photography, because I think there are things that we landscape photographers can learn from those people. For sure. Um, and then I do really enjoy the panel conversations, even if it's like two or three people at a time, because I think once you get a couple of people bouncing ideas off of each other, it can really spark some some fantastic conversation that that no one was really expecting. So I think those are definitely two two areas that I would like to move into. And then I would love to do more outreach into the kind of tertiary sectors. You know, like for example, in a couple of weeks, I'm finally going to have an interior designer on the show, and we're he's going to talk to us about uh, like what kind of stuff he looks for as someone who's helping art buyers or people redesigning their home um, in terms of what kind of photography to purchase. So I think those types of perspectives will be interesting for people to hear from um, as photographers. Definitely. And I think it's like always beneficial to hear what other people think, like besides just photographers, like my wife doesn't take pictures at all, but I always ask her opinion (laughs) on my photos because just like they have a completely different way of seeing things. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you can learn from everybody. So I think that's super cool. Yeah, it's um, it's funny because I think, um, I don't know about you, but every once in a while, if I have an image that I'm struggling with or I'm not quite sure about, I'll send it to, you know, like Kane or maybe David Thompson or something and get their feedback. And they give me like the perspective of a experienced processor and landscape photographer. But I think often what's missing is how does kind of just your regular Joe off the street respond to the image because those are two very different perspectives and they're both valid absolutely yeah just, yeah just as valid i mean as a photographer you would hope that your audience isn't just photographers so it might be even <laughs> more valid right because you're gonna have like a really small audience of like i don't want to say like actual photographers but like you know completely dedicated photographers that notice like they can nitpick your image and notice like all the little things but then you know the majority of your audience is going to be viewing it in a completely different way and not expecting to see the same thing so yeah it's been you know having that perspective for me has been kind of liberating in terms of fighting against my desire for perfectionism because you know you can spend hours and hours and hours on editing a photo and get it pretty damn close to being great you know Mm -hmm. and i think most of the time if you show a photo that you've worked on for 20 hours and you take the same photo and you've worked on it for eight hours 
the only people that are going to see the subtle differences are probably photographers. <laughs> For sure. So, or, or, so or yourself, you know, like we're always our own worst critics. So sometimes it's good to see another opinion and see that they don't even mention the things that are bothering you. And then you're like, right. Oh yeah. That's, you know, I was just overanalyzing it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, I think if you give yourself permission to not be perfect and to think about, well, if I'm, if I like this photographer's work and it's a pretty good photograph, would I enjoy it? I think if you can hit that bar consistently, you're doing pretty good. Absolutely. And huge <laughs> shout out to David Thompson, like you mentioned, because I have him critique most of my work more more before, but um, still yeah. now when I'm struggling with something or I'm just not sure about something, or especially when I'm like doing a gallery release and I feel like I have too many images, he's really good at helping me get rid of the ones that aren't like super strong that shouldn't be in there. So yeah, David has helped me like since the beginning so much. He's such an awesome guy. And I'm glad oh, that absolutely. you're getting help from him as well. Like, Yeah, I feel bad him. asking him because I know a lot of people reach out to him for help, but he, he, he should charge he should charge by the hour because his advice is always really good. Yeah, but he's just so nice. Like he's always so down to go deep in it with you and like help you out. And if you don't know how to do what he's saying, like help you figure it out. Like I learned a ton of Photoshop stuff from him just critiquing my work and telling me little adjustments to do and like little things that just make the biggest difference. Isn't that funny how just that like tiny tweak that you haven't even learned or thought about can just completely transform how an image looks. You know, it's, it's, I was just talking about that the other day with somebody else and it's, you know, just a slight little adjustment can make a crazy difference. Yeah, totally. <laughs> just the fine tuning and, yeah, it's like, I think those are the kind of things that separate like a novice from a pro, like all the basic stuff, the novice knows and everything, but like just that fine tuning stuff, like those final touches are really like what sets the work apart from the rest. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the things that um, that you share with David is uh, you guys tend to release your images in kind of longer thematic kind of curated galleries versus what I think I see most photographers do, which is release one photo at a time. And I was curious, you know, I, I assume that's something you do intentionally, but I'm really, really curious to hear kind of how you arrived at doing it that way and what benefits do you see from, from that approach? Well, I've been doing it for a while. I can't remember like that moment where I decided to do that, but mm -hmm. the earliest one I can think of was like in 2015. And I think... A lot of it, come, like my background growing up and stuff, like I've just been super into music, um, super into skateboarding videos because I love to skateboard and I used to film skateboarding videos. And that's kind of how I got into photography and stuff before I transitioned into nature photography. But um, like skate videos, it's always like a compilation of like 10 different skateboarders. And so like they'll show like this well-rounded um video with these different sections where each skateboard is a little bit different and unique in his own way. And so you can't really compare one to another because they're kind of serving a different purpose, just like music. Like you can't really compare the Ramones to like Led Zeppelin or like punk rock to rap, you know, like they're both so different, but they both have their own purpose and like they justify existing. So like when 
I wanted to do a body of work, I thought of it as like an album or like a compilation. And it's like a better way to show all the different faces and lighting and compositions and subject matter that you can find usually like geographically in a certain place. Okay. Yeah. I was going to ask because I've been trying to do it that way, but more, more so as kind of like a compilation of the best photos I got on a particular long trip, Mm -hmm. um, which is a little bit different than kind of a longer term, you know, after six years of shooting forests, I'm releasing a forests album. You know what I mean? Yeah. With pictures from forests, like all over the world. Right. Those, those are two very kind of different approaches to the same idea. Yeah. But I mean, it, you can't really go wrong. Like, just like you were saying, the way it started out is like, I would go on a trip and take all these pictures. And I just felt like there'd be maybe three or four that stood alone, but the rest were maybe not so great by themselves. But in terms of a body of work, they complemented the other ones, if that makes sense. Right. Like, it does. It does. Because if you're in the forest, for example, like you can take pictures with a telephoto lens of like details in the trees or like leaves on the ground, or, you know, you can go wide and like get more light coming in. Like there's just so many different kinds of scenes you can do. And I don't feel like there's like one photograph that can capture the essence of an entire place. So I, I mean, I like to do a lot of intimate work as well. And some of that isn't going to be like as loud or attention grabbing to most people as like wider scenes or stuff like that. So it's like, I feel like having both of those things together, it just helps them complement each other more. And you can just show more of a place. Like you can give a fuller representation, but yeah. Yeah. So I started out doing like individual trips. I just put out all the images together once they were done and I felt good about them. But now like gradually I've, I mean, I still do that, but also like subject matter, like an ice gallery or like, I don't know if you remember, I did a leaves gallery like a couple of years yeah. ago and it was just like leaves from all different places. So I was more like subject matter based, not necessarily a geographical location. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I just think it's super fun. And it also like makes you work a little harder because you got to be a little bit more prolific in order for it to work. Cause mm-hmm. I mean, you can mm-hmm. come out with like a set of images, but you know, just releasing like one image every month or so like you don't got to be as prolific as like trying to release a gallery every few months of like 20 30 images so it's it's not that i'm like trying to force productivity it's just it kind of makes you work more like when the lighting's different you want to because you want to have variety in your galleries too you know so you're like oh well the obvious lighting is like sunrise sunset but if all my photos are sunrise sunset in the gallery it's going to be super redundant So it makes you stretch yourself as an artist and try different things in order to have some diversity and some variety in your portfolio, which I always appreciate when I look at people's work to see that they can do like lots of different scenes. Yeah. So it's interesting. I'm I'm super curious to to hear how your brain works in terms of kind of preparing for that type of presentation. Like, obviously, you've been doing it that way since 2015 for five years now. So you're consciously aware that that's kind of how you want to organize your work. But do you have like a running list of different types of galleries that you're, you have in mind when you're going out into the field? Like, ooh, that scene over there would make a good photo for XYZ gallery versus, oh, this over here kind of fits more 
Like, are you thinking consciously about that when you're photographing? That's a great question. And I think like intuitively you would assume like that I would plan it out in order to be (laughs) more productive, like effective, you know, like know what I'm looking for before I go out and look for it. But honestly, I really like in all aspects of photography, I really try to avoid preconceiving anything because Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I just want to have an open mind. So a lot of times the galleries are coming together after the fact and it's not like, um, oh, I want to make this kind of gallery. I better go shoot these kinds of scenes. It's more like, okay, I have all these scenes right now because when I shoot stuff, like I don't release it for a long time. I sit on my work. So I kind of see it all coming together and I see certain themes starting to play out and I'm like, okay, these images look good together. These images look together. Like there's some ideas and then maybe I'll polish off those ideas by getting a few more images afterwards. But it's not like a checklist or like a shot list or anything like that. It's I try to right. be as open-minded as possible because otherwise you just are going to miss out on opportunities because you're going to be looking for specific things. You're not going to see everything else that's around you. Yeah, totally, man. That's been, for me, one of the uh, more, I guess, liberating perspectives that I've tried to take on for myself is you know, I will, I will spend time trying to preconceive something, but then I also make sure that I tell myself, you know, that's, that's great if you get that, but you know, let's, let's be open-minded in terms of what we can find on the way to that place. And I think that works really well for me because if I don't have any idea in mind, then I kind of feel like I just get lazy and don't really try to, I don't know, I don't try to do anything that's going to push the envelope for myself, but I also don't want to get super married to an idea that I miss out on things on the way. Right. Yeah. It's kind of, I don't really know. Like just my whole approach to photography is just, it's not very like methodical. It's just kind of, I mean like last year when we met up in Colorado in the fall with everybody, like I didn't even research that area at all. Jimmy was just, which is awesome. Yeah, he, Jimmy just like dropped a pen. He's like, come meet us here. So I just showed up and then it was just like, oh, wow. Like I had no idea what to expect. And I had like a, a clean slate of what to create there. You know, I didn't have any ideas at all. And that was super fun. Yeah, I remember it, if I'm remembering cor- correctly, I kind of got the sense that part of you was a little bit, I don't want to say frustrated, but you were like, oh, it's not quite what I maybe thought it would be, but then you were also almost a little bit overwhelmed in terms of what all what all the possibilities that existed as well. Yeah, more the second thing you mentioned, because like, I just remember driving in on that dirt road and just seeing, <laughs> like, there was like nothing for so long. And then all of a sudden, I turn a corner, and it's just like the thickest Aspen forest. And it's just like so orange and yellow. And I was just seeing stuff everywhere. And I was like, oh, man, I could... Sp- and you guys had ideas to go to other places like the next day. And I was just like, dude, I feel like, stay. wait, I, yeah. I was like, I could stay here the entire week that I'm going to be here. So, right. Yeah. It definitely was overwhelming just because I saw so much potential just driving into where I was meeting up with you guys. But yeah, that's just, that's kind of how I approach things now. Like just, I don't really go to specific landmarks or like look for specific shots. It's just maybe find out about an area. And I'm like that, looks like a cool area not like a cool spot just more of like a you know a a, a big zone that looks like it has potential and I'll just go and explore and see what I find because 
before when I used to be like more methodical and uh, trying to plan things out, like when I first started, I mean, every photographer wants to check off the, you know, the epic stuff, the iconic stuff. You want to see it for yourself. So you kind of plan stuff out more. But afterwards, when I stopped planning, I actually realized like I was becoming more prolific. And it's just because I was seeing more things since I wasn't like stuck on one idea. Yeah, that tunnel vision can really hinder you, I think, as a photographer, especially if you're looking to, as you say, be more prolific and expand upon kind of your base, you know, what people, I guess, expect from you. And, you know, you're going to gain so much skill on the way in terms of shooting scenes that you never really thought about how to shoot before. For me, that's been my biggest, I guess, the biggest area of of me growing as a photographer is kind of decoupling this idea of, of locations from, from what I want to shoot. I mean, obviously you want to go to cool locations, but that's just, that's just the start, you know, it's not the end. Right. And I mean, ideally as a photographer, I'm hoping, you know, or as an artist, uh, which would be, better to say because we're we're artists (laughs) (laughs) it's just like um i want to make a contribution to the world that is unique i don't want to i mean if somebody else already does something well i don't see the point in trying to do that like somebody's already doing that somebody's already giving that to the world so as an artist i'm always hoping to create something that is completely unique like my personal contribution to the universe that no one else could have done. So like if I didn't exist, that photo wouldn't exist either. And that's like such a, like, not only is it a super, it's super satisfying for me as an artist, it just also feels like you're actually making a contribution and you're kind of doing something meaningful, you know, like you're, you're, you're doing stuff that no one else can do. And so I always hope to create scenes that are less like geographically based, more scenes that like won't be replicated either because they won't exist the next day or the next season or you know they're very transient or just certain right. types of scenes that are like it's so it's so uh what's the word like i guess intimate that it's like virtually impossible for someone else to find that same composition totally like there's no way someone could replicate that exact photograph exactly and it's not that it's like oh i don't want people to copy my work because you know, like jealousy or something like that. It's just like, well, what's the point of creating something that people can copy? Like, mm-hmm. how, how am I benefiting anybody by doing that? Yeah, and I think that is one thing that's somewhat unique to photography as an art form because the images that we create with the camera are rooted in basis of reality in terms of you're pointing the camera at something that actually exists and you're, you're recording that moment in time of that scene. And I think that is something that's a little bit unique to our art form that other art forms don't necessarily have as a kind of a basis of. I don't know if that makes right. sense, but it, I think that sometimes gets people trapped in a mindset in terms of, uh, you know, oh, that's, that's a place and a thing that I want to do as well. Right, but... It reminds me of a quote by Ansel Adams. I'm probably going to botch it, but I think he said something like um, scenes are not or photographs are not found. They're created. So sure. like, like you're saying, we're kind of I mean, one could as a photographer, you could see yourself as kind of stuck like you're you're limited to 
what it exists in the world, right? Because you can't paint something out of your imagination or anything like that. But really, like the way you organize your surroundings, the perspective you approach them from, what you include or exclude, there's a lot that can be created with what's around us. So it's more like our surroundings are kind of the materials that are available to us, like paintbrushes or colors of paint and stuff. But the way we mix them together, the way we organize them in a composition, like there's so much you can do. So I think it's important not to just kind of surrender to like the idea that, oh, well, all I can do is shoot what is objectively there. But really, it's like you got to see photography from um, a more artistic view where you're viewing the world in terms of visual elements. So like instead of taking a picture of a rock or a tree, what you're really doing is you're taking a picture of the shape that that rock is creating or the outline of the tree or the, you know, like you got to see things in terms of how they affect the eye visually and how um, they affect somebody looking at them rather than just like as literal objects. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It does. Yeah. I was actually listening to uh, the Tog cast and they had David Ward on from the United Kingdom. And one of the things he said that really stuck with me was uh, he said that a lot of photographers get caught up in this idea that, you know, the objects that we are photographing are the subject and what he says is that to to really, I'm totally butchering what he said because I listened to it literally once, like while I was driving. But what he essentially said was, in order to really make a great photograph, what we should try to do is make the subject about something more than just the object. Like, is it an emotional state? Is it is it a kind of esoteric idea? that we're trying to represent through that shape or through that object and the light and how it's arranged in those four, four frames of our, of our photograph. And I think I, I, what I, one of the things I struggle with is uh, sometimes for me, <laughs> I am pretty satisfied with the idea that a photograph can merely represent a beautiful uh rendition of a beautiful scene at a beautiful time and it's nothing more than that like sometimes i feel like we try to make photographs more than what they are right but i i maybe i'm just uh skeptical about the way some people talk about their photography but and maybe it's just i haven't arrived yet but i sometimes kind of roll my eyes a little bit when some people start talking about oh well this photograph represents my sorrow about this thing and i'm like does it you know what i mean yeah I, <laughs> and at the at the end of the day it all comes down to what the viewer is gonna feel like uh-huh right, you might totally. you might think that something is conveyed but it's not so like being a great photographer means like it's just like being a great writer you know like i might write something down and then when you read it you can't understand it but i'm like no like it means this it's super deep but it's like <laughs> if that doesn't come across then i didn't write it well you know, I didn't use that medium well to translate my feelings into words or a photograph. Like, mm-hmm. if you're a great photographer, you know how to do that effectively, which means like what you're saying, it's not about what the objects literally are. It's about what they represent. What do they mean visually? Right. I mean, then, I, I listened to a great presentation from Charlotte Gibb about, you know, what different shapes uh, represent in the landscape, you know, in terms of triangles and lines and circles and, and, you know, what those types of 
shapes actually can represent in your imagery, uh, which was super helpful for me in terms of thinking about composition. However, sometimes, you know, like I said, when I'm making photographs, I am often not thinking at all about that kind of stuff. I am more in kind of like a, I don't want to say Zen state, but I'm just really having a good time. Yeah, stuff's and blowing try, for you. Yeah, and I'm just trying to organize the scene in a way that is pleasing to my eye, and I hope it translates into something more. But if it doesn't, that's okay too. And mm-hmm. I think I think we should give other photographers permission to to not try so hard. You know, like if something really catches your eye and looks beautiful to you, you know, there's probably a good reason for that that doesn't necessarily need to be explained. Well, at the end of the day, too, like if you have to try super hard, if you have to like, if you're like forcing it, then it's going to come off too contrived as well. And it's not going to be, agree, yeah. you know, I, I prefer things that feel more organic and instead of just like, okay, it's right on the rule of thirds and you got this thing here. It's like, instead you, you feel the balance out. Like how does the uh-huh. scene feel? Does it feel balanced on all sides? Is there something drawing too much attention that you wouldn't want to be drawing attention instead of like being so rigid? It's, yeah, I agree. It's got to be more organic and genuine. And a lot of times, like when I've been on workshops with clients and sometimes when I'm shooting, they'll come over and look at my camera and they're like, oh, what are you doing? What are you seeing? And for a second, it <laughs> takes me a little bit to articulate it because I'm like, oh, well, like, I don't really know. <laughs> and then I got to put right. it into, I got to put it into words because like you said, like I'm just in that flow state where it's just, it's just happening. Like, you know, you're, you're thinking and acting as quickly as if like someone threw a baseball at you and you caught it. You're not thinking like, Oh, baseball's coming in the air. I got to lift my hand up. I got to close my fingers as soon as it like touches my palm. Like you don't think about that. It's just super instinctual. So like when I'm out shooting, it's the same way. I'm not like methodically thinking about all these different things like that I got to do in order to make a good scene. It's just like, something calls my attention. I start framing it up in different ways. It feels good this way. It doesn't feel good that way. Yeah. And I think that comes with years of experience, lots of trial and error, lots of mistakes, you know, and I think the ingredient that a lot of people miss out on is getting feedback from someone who's not you, you know, like if you're super married to a photograph you took, I challenge you to show it to another photographer or a non-photographer and ask them what they think about it. And you're probably going to be really surprised about what they're going to say to you. I've, I've been super surprised um, both directions. Like I'll show something I'm like not super into to somebody and they'll be like, dude, that's awesome. And then they'll explain why and you know, what, what it may, how it makes them feel. And then I'll show something that I'm completely married to that I think is the best photograph I've taken in 20 years. And they'll be like, yeah, it's, it's fine. It's no big deal. I'm like, dude, what? So I think, I think that part of the process is so important. For sure. And like I said before, like, I'm so grateful for David Thompson and um, (laughs) all the help that he's given me, like with critiquing my work. And that's honest, if you want to learn, that's honestly the best way you can go about it. Like, find somebody that you look up to, that is nice enough to um, give you some time to uh, check out your work and let you know what they think about it. And I mean, if you can find somebody like that, you should be super appreciative because it's like the biggest help ever. And also not just one person, like I've been lucky enough to be friends with Alex Noriega and, um, you know, like Jimmy Gekis. So I'll show 
you know, David, Alex, and Jimmy, the same images and hear all of their different opinions about it. And when I was starting out, when I would get critique, it would be about things that were like just objectively not wrong, but just not done well in the photo. Right. Right. So like technical things that I needed to fix, like color balance issues, or it's too dark, it's too bright. Um, sure. Highlights. But then later on, it started to become more subjective. And as you, you need to get critique from somebody that you can trust because once it gets to the point where it's like subjective, um, it's like, there's not necessarily anything wrong with the photo. It just maybe doesn't connect with them as much. So then you need to make your own decision. Like, okay, there's nothing wrong with this photo, but do I think it's worth putting up still, even though my mentor, somebody I look up to doesn't. And Mm -hmm. I mean, that that's once you become, um, I mean, a a lot better. That's like what it comes down to. It's just subjective, whether you like it or not. Like it's not necessarily a good or bad photo. It's just like this kind of scene isn't for me or this scene. I really jive with it. Well, and one thing that's always surprised me is there are photos that I didn't necessarily want to include in a gallery that I'm putting out or whatever, but I decided to, for whatever reason, like, Oh, let's just see what people think. And oftentimes I've found that those are the images that people really like. So I'm always, I, maybe this is a good segue, but like if, if you're looking at a body of work or maybe you've have a, a large gallery on your website that you're trying to trim down, like how do you do that in a way that doesn't, you know, one alienate the people that like your photography and two remains true to what you think is your best stuff. Like, I feel like those are two very difficult things to balance at the same time. So the the most important thing that you just said about that is, um, you know, your second point that it's gotta, you gotta like it. It's gotta speak to you personally. And I, I've always believed in, instead of trying to do what people want, instead of trying to please the masses, you do what you like. And over time, as you continue to produce what you genuinely enjoy, and you share your unique personal perspective of the world, that you're going to build an audience. It's going to take longer, but you're going to build an audience that appreciates that. And Mm -hmm. you're going to have this like small niche group of people, which in a world with seven and a half billion people or whatever there is now, (laughs) a small (laughs) niche could be 50,000 people, which is still a huge group of people. So it doesn't mean like you're never going to be popular, but I just, I, I believe in like growing an audience organically that always appreciates your work. And then you can stick to whatever you like because that's what they're looking for. You know, they, they want to see you. They want to see your perspective. They don't want to see you doing what everybody else is doing. They, they come to you because no one else is doing it. Right. Right. And it, do you think that it's, um, well, I think I know the answer to this question. So I'm going to ask it. I'm going to presume you say yes to this, but it sounds like you think it's important for a photographer to develop a unique vision of the world in terms of not presenting images that other people have already done. But why is that important? Like, what is it about that that you think people should strive towards? Well, I can only speak for myself. And like I was saying before, it's just like if somebody else already did something and they did a great job on it and I can't, I personally can't make any improvement on it. What's the point of me doing it? What am I really offering the world? I may as well. So what do if something. you feel like? What if you feel like you can improve upon it? <laughs> now that's a different story, and 
I mean, what it comes down to is, do I feel like I am contributing something that is unique and like is worth contributing because it, no one else will do it. And so sometimes I do see images from locations and there's lots of photographs, but none of them are very well done. So I'll be mm-hmm. like, okay, that place has potential that I feel is still untapped. Like people haven't seen the place the way that I think I will see it. And I think there's more to be done there kind of like sometimes I'll see snapshots from like backpackers. They're not dedicated photographers. They're just taking pictures to remember their trips and share them with people or put them on their blog to share travel routes and stuff. And I'll see those pictures. I'm like, wow, that place looks awesome. And that perspective looks awesome. It just needs an artistic touch. It just needs to be organized a little better. It needs to be composed more deliberately. And I think something great could come out of it. So it sounds like you've been spending time on my website again. (laughs) So yeah, you're good. It's just, uh, yeah. So it's like, when I just feel, um, if I can't contribute something new, like why do it at all? Like I just always want to do something different and it's not that it's like, okay, everybody's doing this. So I'm going to do this. It's not as intentional as that. It's just like, I'm going to be myself and just shoot pictures of what draws my attention. And everybody is a unique person. Like just inherently we're all different in some way. So if you do what your inner voice is saying, if you act based on your interests and your personal way of seeing the world, you're going to be showing people stuff that they can't see anywhere else because no one can be you better than yourself. So it's just something that happens organic. Like I wouldn't say, yeah, you need to have a style, try to have a style, try to create a style, like figure out what you're going to do. It's just like be you and that's going to happen. It's like a secondary thing that comes with it. Mm-hmm. That's interesting because I've I've been grappling with this idea in terms of um, doing a vlog because obviously doing a vlog is not new. People have been doing vlogs for a long time. But what kind of where I arrived is, yeah, I can do a decent vlog that's probably not going to be, you know, produced better than other people have done, but it's going to be done in my way and showing the world in the way that I see it. And I think that's different enough to where I feel like it's worth pursuing. Yeah, it's a worthy contribution. Like people are going to benefit from getting things that they don't have, right? Like if you already have a favorite kind of soda, there's no point in me making that same exact soda. You already got it. I should make something else that you might like or, (laughs) you know what I mean? And and that's where it comes down to like photography is only a composition is, sorry, is only a competition as long as everybody's trying to do the same thing. Otherwise, if everybody's doing their own thing, it's more of a collaboration. Like you can't compare mm. two photographers to another to it to one another unless they're doing the same thing because it's like comparing basketball to swimming. Like you can't have a swimmer and a basketball player compete against each other because they're just not even in the same court. So right. I feel like a lot of people that see photography as a competition, it's because really they're just doing the same thing as everyone else. So then it comes down to who is doing that one specific thing better than the other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Otherwise you can't even compare it. Right. Yeah, I agree. I, I think I struggle with that definitely for, for many years in terms of, because you know, you put yourself in the same bucket, like, Oh, I'm a landscape photographer that shoots crazy scenes. Oh, that person also does that. So how can I do it in a way that's better? And I think that's where people start getting into weird stuff where they're, you know, just forcing things to be what they're not in terms of, 
you know, like adding skies and doing just crazy stuff that isn't necessarily something you have to do to make a good photograph, but they're trying to one up other people. I mean, obviously that's generalizing, but sure. And, and think going that that's what, route, that's what I did. <laughs> sure. Everybody kind of does that in the beginning when you're still not sure what you like, or you're still not as familiar with nature and all the different things you can find in it. Right. We kind of just go off of what other people have found. But, um, Honestly, like if you take that approach for too long, you're just never going to stand out. You're totally. just going to, your, your work's just going to look like everyone else's. And so going back to your question, I always just try to do what I personally enjoy, what is personally meaningful to me. And I have the hope that things will work out because other people will appreciate that. So I'm not really trying to please the audience. I never think about that. I just... I feel like if I'm happy with it, then the people that follow me will be happy with it because that's why they're following me in the first place. Because I've always tried to be genuine and just, you know, do my own thing. So that's what they're, that's why they're following me because they want to see me do that. Otherwise, maybe they'll unfollow me, but that doesn't matter, (laughs) right? If they unfollow me, then they weren't very supportive in the first place. I was going to say, actually having people that don't necessarily like your work signal to you that they don't like your work is actually kind of a blessing because those aren't the people that you want to be engaged with anyway. So, yeah. And it gets to a certain point where you're not making these big (laughs) objective errors in your images anymore. And it just comes down to subject matter. So if somebody doesn't connect with it or somebody doesn't like with it, you should like it. You shouldn't be offended. It's just like somebody liking one movie and not liking another, somebody liking uh, heavy metal music and somebody liking pop pop music like you can't say anybody's right or wrong it's just it just comes down to subjective opinion at the end of the day so once you become confident as an artist that you're technically doing everything um as best you can and you don't have like kind of mistakes in your images or flaws like technical flaws then you can be confident enough to put it out there and it's not that you don't care what people think but it doesn't affect your personal opinion of your image just because somebody else doesn't like it it doesn't make you second guess yourself right you just accept that everybody's different and they just don't connect with it there's nothing wrong with it well as a as a person who you know generates their entire livelihood off of landscape photography like who is your audience like who are you over the years like who are the people that you're in the back of your mind those are the people you know obviously you said you're shooting for yourself and you're shooting what you hope people like. And if they don't like it, that's fine. But who are the people that are, that are following you and, and how are you approaching that audience? I mean, it, it's hard to like know exactly who that is, but I just assume it's people that enjoy my work. So the way I kind of sustain them is just by continuing to be myself. I feel like as soon as I betray that and I sell out in a way, that's when you lose those diehard fans. Hmm. What so, does selling out look like in our industry? <laughs> for a photographer? Yeah, what does um, that look like? <laughs> I mean, just like any other industry, like so many great bands that I loved in the 90s, now they sound nothing like they did. And it's because hmm. they're just trying to sound like what's popular. They're trying to sound like whatever is selling records. So as a photographer, it's like, oh, well, these kinds of scenes are selling well, or these kinds of scenes are getting 50,000 likes on Instagram, I'm going to replicate that and I'm going to go that route. So it's just doing 
you sell out as soon as you're trying to please the masses instead of just doing your own thing. Mm -hmm. So you're not spending a lot of time in the Faroe Islands right now? (laughs) Well, it's kind of like... I'm just kidding. It's just the hot spot right (laughs) now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But it's just like... uh, It's like comparing McDonald's to a hole-in-the-wall burger joint like in New York or something that has two-hour wait times because... Like they're they just not the same thing, you know. They're making burger, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're making the same product, but McDonald's is completely sold out, right? McDonald's is just like the most basic form of food that's going to attract like the most people, I guess. It's like convenient, cheap, uh, tastes super plain. They never have like hot sauce or like jalapenos, like any kind of crazy flavors. But then you have these other places that are super niche and super specific, and they you just can't compare the two. Like to me, McDonald's is like a sold out version. And this other place that's completely unique, there's only like one location in the world. It's like, you got to go there if you want that thing. Yeah. I feel like I went through that process in like 2013 to 2015. Like I spent a lot of time trying to emulate other people and go to places other people have already photographed. But I think in some ways that's kind of part of your, part of the photography journey for some people. I think it's like you're, oh, I'm trying to find my way. Like it almost reminded me of middle school. Like you're dressing like other people to see if if you if it works for you or not. You know, like yeah, you uh, try on a lot of different outfits. Like literally, yeah. even <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh, am I a skater or a preppy? You know, or an hour am I a jock? Yeah, you know, you're trying like to you find go through all these where you identity crises. Yeah, I think that's just part of you. You know, your adolescence as a photographer is that you kind of try on all these different hats to see kind of what sticks and. And then eventually you kind of arrive at something that feels more comfortable to you. And and I think the more you focus on that, the more authentic it feels to your audience. Exactly. And the more comfortable you are, the more comfortable your audience is going to be. And the right. more you're going to enjoy it. Like if you're promoting things that you don't believe in, it's going to be uncomfortable for people that are seeing that. So right. like here's, you a, can always- here's, a, here's a product I got sent. It's pretty cool. You should buy it. I'm going to do a little Instagram story about it. Yeah. Like, I mean, you always see those commercials where they have some famous actor promoting some random product and you're just like, he got paid way too much money to do this. (laughs) Right. Like you can just tell it's not authentic at all. He's just reading a script. He just showed up, read the script and left. Like he's never used the product before. Like it's super impersonal and that's where it's like super awkward and it makes you second guess the product. Right. And not really trust it. So Yeah, that makes sense. I think authenticity is super important. Oh, definitely. I really want to hear about this book you're putting out. It's called Conversations with Nature. Tell me tell us about it. Well, ever since I got into photography and especially since I take the approach like we were talking about before, and um instead of putting out images by themselves, I like to put out galleries. So I'm constantly putting out big sets of images all at once that represent a certain theme, things like that. Um, I've always wanted to create a book. So like kind of a physical form of that approach that I have to photography. So I've always loved printing images. I think that until you've printed an image, until you've printed an image, you haven't really seen the final result. Yeah, I agree, man. I think that's right. So like, it's, it's such a special experience when you see an image printed and it's like the final product. And that's really when the photo should look the best. Like that's when you should be most impressed by your image when it's printed out. 
because like just seeing it on paper, it's so much different than on a computer screen. And it's just, it's an awesome experience. So I kind of wanted to put those two things together and create a book for a long time. But um, it was just kind of on the back burner until finally it just kind of came together on its own. So because I also enjoy doing a lot of writing and I've gotten more and more into writing lately over the last few years. So I kind of always had the images in a way, but I didn't necessarily have the words to accompany them to make a book that was going to be something that I was proud of. So it kind of just all came together on its own like uh, last year. And I just started working on the writing and then the images kind of all fell together into four different sections. And um, yeah, it just seemed like it was kind of, it was a little earlier than I thought of creating my first book. It happened like quicker than I thought. I thought it wouldn't be for another couple more years because it's kind of a big project. And I think it's a goal that a lot of photographers have. It's kind of... I think you're right. I mean, it's a goal that I have too, for sure. Yeah, so... I just kind of always had that in my mind, but then it, it just kind of fell together on its own. Like I didn't force it. I was like, okay, I'm going to sit down and make a book now. It just kind of all fell together in this organic way. So what are these, uh, what are the four sections? Like, how did you, how did you organize it? So, well, one of the coolest things about it is that a while ago I was like almost done with the book and, um, I was just like doing finishing touches and I felt like it really needed a strong forward from a photographer that I admire. And I was trying to figure out who should do it. And then um, one day, William Neal, a photographer that I have admired for a long time, and I own several of his books and you just had him on here. And I know that you admire his work as well. Yeah. He was kind enough. I guess he had found my website because maybe he saw me following him on Instagram and comments and he went over to my page and somehow got onto my website and he made a post on Facebook about how much he liked my work and my writing and how proud he was to see a young photographer kind of continuing in the footsteps of um, the older generation of photographers by being an advocate for the wilderness and having a conservation minded focus towards photography and um just how he, he just how he really liked my work and my writing. So I was like, okay, I need to reach out to him because it <laughs> yeah. seems like he might do it. And that's I awesome. Asked, yeah. And I was nervous. I was, I was like, I sent him an email. I was like, you know, if you did this, it would really mean a lot to me. It'd be awesome. But if you feel uncomfortable in any way, or you feel like I, I sent him a digital copy of the book, so you could check it out first. I was like, if you feel like this isn't like up to par with your standards or something that you'd be proud of having your name on, like, don't feel any pressure to do this. I completely understand. But I was super nervous and scared. And a couple days later, (laughs) (laughs) he, he emailed me back and he was like, I would love to do that, Eric. Like, this book looks awesome. The images are beautiful. And uh, a couple days later, he sent me this amazing forward. So the book starts out with a beautifully written forward by William Neal. Oh, that's so which, cool, man. Yeah, which on its own is just awesome. And then afterwards, there's an introduction written by my good friend, Alex Noriega, who's also an awesome photographer. Um, uh, in my we, opinion, he's the best. <laughs> that's just my opinion. He's awesome. And uh, since we have a personal relationship and him and I shoot together a lot and he knows me, because um, I've never met Bill William Neal before. But um, we, we talk online, but Alex, I go shooting with a lot and we hang out a lot. So 
he was able to write a more personal introduction about me as a person. And uh, that was really cool. So then after that, um, I wrote a prologue for the book. And the whole reason for doing this book, like all the writing and everything is focused on um, what is unique about the different environments that exist on the planet and what, what makes them irreplaceable. And also my personal relationship with each one, as well as the threats that they're facing now as a result of global warming. And oh, so cool, it's, it's focused around conservation and why these places need to be left intact and undisturbed. And that was my whole point in creating this book. It's not to put something out there that reflects on me as a person or a photographer. I want to put something out there that helps people to love nature even more and to fall have have a deeper connection with nature so that more people can be on the side of conservation and protecting the very few wild places that we still have left. So those four sections are forest and then desert and then mountains and then canyons. So nice. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So there's images in each one and then an essay at the beginning of each one, like I said, about what makes each one unique um, special things about them, my personal relationship with each one, and then the threats that they're facing because of climate change, like the damage that's already happened and the things that are coming in the future. Cause I do a lot of reading and I love reading like, um, books by biologists, just explaining how all these different things work in nature. It's just so fascinating to me. And also, um, journalists that are studying global warming and, um, the road that we're headed down if the earth continues to heat up and the predictions that they make. And I just feel like it's information that needs to be out there. So I kind of just regurgitated a lot of that research that I've done and put it into my own words and shared personal experiences where I've seen those things happen in different places. Yep. And, you know, my personal spin on that stuff so people can hopefully connect with it a bit more. That's so cool, man. Did you... Did you have this idea for this book in mind for a while or how did you kind of arrive at this being the goal of the book? I I had an idea to do a book for a while and um, there was even like a year where I sat on like almost all of my images that I took and I had like <laughs> 200 unreleased images that I was saving for a book. Yeah. And then, but it wasn't like coming together and I don't know, I just wasn't feeling it. So I released those images just in galleries and I kind of put it off to the side. And then I don't know, it was just one day it kind of just came to me and I just sat down and I wrote like a good 60% of the book in just a couple of days. Like it was just flowing and I couldn't like type fast enough. And so (laughs) that's awesome. Yeah, it just happened. So since it was so organic and everything, I just rolled with it. And I was like, all right, I'll just do this. Like, it makes sense to do it. It'd be weird not to do it since it's all coming to me. And I can see it super clearly. Like, I could see the final product. Um, But yeah, it kind of just all fell together on its own. It wasn't super, like, planned out or it wasn't like a goal or anything. It's just kind of the right time. It just, the inspiration came. And I just, uh, just put it all together. So what was your, what's been your approach to actually uh, publishing it and getting it in a format that looks clean? So I knew that was going to be a super important part of it because, I mean, I could have the greatest images in the world in there, but if it's not produced well, if the physical product isn't, um, you know, up to 
you know, it's not good quality, it's not going to be able to be appreciated as much. So I decided early on that it was important to find a publisher here in Utah so I could go and oversee it and um, talk to them in person and really explain everything that I wanted. So I found a publisher here in Utah. They're called Book Printers of Utah. And I went in and talked with um, the main guy that runs it. And he just seemed to understand everything that I was saying. Like, I was like, I want this and this and this. And I don't know about this. What do you think? Like, we were just on the same page from the beginning. And he had all these great ideas for it. And um, their designer just understood everything that I wanted. And whenever I wanted tweaks, he was just on the same page. So finding people that were on kind of the same wavelength was super crucial and helped it come out to be way better than I even expected. Like I was super amazed at everything they did with the design and the layout and everything. And uh, yes, yeah, so, so the main thing was just finding a local publisher that was on the same page. So I didn't want it to be someone like in another country or someone that I was just talking to over emails because I wanted everything to be perfect down to the last, like the smallest detail. So mm-hmm. I figured working in it, working on it like in person with them being able to go down there every couple of weeks and make decisions and look at material and feel different paper and stuff like that was going to be a super important part of it. So, um, I, it's not published in the sense that, um, like it, it wasn't published by a company that's going to distribute it and sell it and everything. I'm self publishing it, but through a publisher. So I'm ordering all the books. They're getting delivered to my house and I'm shipping them out myself. And oh I figured, man. How many did you order? Uh, I'm not going to disclose that, but there's going to be so many that my wife and I aren't sure how we're going to fit them all in the house. Like. <laughs> uh, I was just having this conversation today with another photographer. He, he told me he, he was trying to encourage me to publish a book and he was telling me about his first book. And he said that he, I think he said he ordered a thousand copies and he sold 500 of them and he still has 500 books in his garage. And like, that just gives me a night, like my wife would completely destroy me if I did that. Um, so yeah, that would be, that's, have you thought about like, how are you going to, I mean, obviously we're talking about it on the podcast and hopefully at least one person buys the book through the podcast or many people buy, buy Eric's book. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> but I'm curious, like, have you, does that make you nervous in terms of the financial outlay and having you know, a bunch of books that you don't know what to do with? Well, it is somewhat of a financial risk because when you self-publish something, all the money is coming out of your pocket. So I had to dump um, a big chunk of my own money into it, but I'm so satisfied with it and I'm so happy with it that to me, it seemed worth it. Like I wasn't scared to do it at all because I mean, just me having the copy of the book here in my hands, like that's kind of satisfying enough for me already regardless of anybody buying it or not like well there is something to be said for uh, having something tangible that you're proud of that then i don't know about you if you're if you're wired this way but if you're super proud of something that you've created it kind of gives you enough motivation to go out and try to get people to buy it you know exactly and um yeah it's a surreal experience like when they handed it to me i was just like so emotional. It was <laughs> That's so it, cool. It was so much more profound than I thought it would be. And uh, I bet, yeah. I highly recommend it. Like every photographer that's serious about photography, you should at least make one book 
um, just for the experience alone of being able to hold it in your hands and flip through the pages. Like it's just such a crazy feeling. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm confident that I've put out something that the people that follow me already are going to enjoy and it's going to benefit them if they enjoy my work and they're going to be able to look at my work in a different format. That's a little bit more relaxed. Um, and it's just a completely different experience than looking on a computer screen. You can appreciate the finer details of nature and each of the images. And I mean, it has writing that I wrote, especially for the book and, um, I'm super proud of it. So yeah, it was a risk to do. And part of me for a little bit was nervous about having boxes and boxes and boxes of books (laughs) in my house for the next 10 years or something. But yeah, I mean, you only live once. I was happy with the product. I felt like it was worth taking that risk and uh, I haven't lost any sleep over it since then. So, so before you committed to uh, printing, did you have to decide on how many you wanted? Like, how did that work? Yeah. So when you put in, so first I had a sample copy printed, which was outrageously expensive, but I needed to see it physically before I ordered a huge print run. So right, right, right. And seeing it physically helped me realize like a lot of things, like I needed to swap some images, change some of the layout, um, certain things like that. Uh, also just reading text on paper, you notice a lot more errors and typos that for some reason Mm -hmm. you can't see on a computer screen. So it's different. (laughs) Yeah. It's just a super, uh, different experience. So I did that first and that was worth it just because I made so many, uh, changes that I thought were super important to it. And then, um, yeah, once I placed the order for the actual print run, I had to tell them how many I wanted. And that's how they gave me the quote for how much it was going to cost. Nice. And it, it was kind of hard to decide, you know, because if you get too few, you're going to sell out quick and then it costs a lot of money to do a whole nother run because yep, yep, the more yep. you produce, the better the price you get for each unit. So I was kind of trying to decide between two numbers and then, you know, I was just kind of mulling it over for a month or two. And then finally, just one number just sounded good to me. I don't know. It just felt right. It seemed plausible. Yeah, um, and I mean, you only need one kidney, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> you aren't supposed to tell people that's how I funded it. <laughs> that was private, I'm, man. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, man. Um, now you're going to make me sound desperate. No, I just, <laughs> like, I feel like you're the brave version of myself because I've wanted to do something like this for a long time and I've just been scared shitless because it is a commitment. I mean, I was, I think I was talking to Alexander Deshoom. He was, it was early on in the podcast and he was telling me about the book he made, which is really nice. And, and I was like, well, how many did you make? And he was like, oh, this many. And I'm like, well, how much did that cost? He was like, it was like $40,000. I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, but I made like $100,000 profit. I'm like, well, yeah, but that's because you could sell them all. (laughs) You know, like it's, it's Mm -hmm. certainly it's, there's a lot of upside risk, but it's why I feel like if it's all on your shoulders, I feel like that definitely motivates you to, I don't know, do more to, to sell it. Yeah, that's true. You're, you're more accountable. And, um, Mm -hmm. I mean, there, there's benefits to both. If you get it published, you're not responsible for the overhead cost. You don't need to choose how many, books you get printed if it sells or not it doesn't really you know really royalties lose. are a lot lower too so that's the thing yeah you don't really lose money if it doesn't do well 
But if it does well, your margin is super little. I think if you get a book published, the normal rate is like 8% what you get from it. It's Mm -hmm. super low. So the publisher takes like all the money for doing hardly any of the work. Right. So I decided to do it on my own since it's not a huge run. You know, I'm not going to be selling a million copies or trying to get it in New York Times bestseller or something like that. <laughs> right, right, right. You have a way bigger margin if you do it yourself. So that's the benefit. But you do have that risk. If it doesn't do well, you're in debt and it all falls on you. But right. at the end of the day, my thing is just like, wouldn't you way rather try and fail than never try and wonder for the rest of your life? Like what could have been? hundred percent, man. You know, 100%. so I, I feel better doing it than not doing it, um, even if it didn't go well. But I'm confident that it's going to do fine. And I had a way of judging like how many I thought I could sell just because I sell tutorial videos. And so mm. I kind of just took the number of tutorial videos I've sold and multiplied it because tutorial videos are a pretty niche audience, right? Like mm-hmm. they're not going to appeal to your mother or like a friend. They're only going to appeal to like, photographers that are taking it very seriously but a book is something that's super universal so already right there it's going to appeal to a much larger audience um, and a bigger ratio of people that follow me than tutorial videos so since i've already sold products before i could gauge it that way and feel pretty Mm -hmm. confident in the amount that i would be able to sell so sure yeah it's it's pretty daunting but i just felt like it was worth it and it's been such an amazing project to work on and it's been super fulfilling everything with covid like pushed it back it was supposed to be out like in march oh wow but um, okay. yeah just the production and everything just everything got delayed and pushed back and yeah. uh that makes sense so, yeah and i also waited because um it just didn't seem like a good time to release a book i was kind of waiting until like more economic certainty came back and people were going to be more willing to drop a chunk of change for a fine art book so right. so tell yeah. tell tell me about the uh the process for selecting the paper because I bet that was actually super interesting in terms of arriving at a decision where you kind of had to settle on one paper type that would work well for all of the images in the book. So, you know, what was what did that look like for you and what did you finally arrive at? So, on I I the main thing I wanted was I wanted like a gallery sorry, a gallery quality type of paper. Uh So I wanted it to be something on the thicker side, um, not super flimsy. I wanted it to feel substantial in your hands. So it's kind of like you're holding a book of prints Mm. rather than Mm -hmm. just like a a normal book. So I ended up going with, so, so that was another thing I learned when I did the sample copy, we did 130 pound paper, which I thought would be good but it's just a little too thick to the point where it's kind of stiff and it's kind of hard to Ah, to flip uh through the pages. Yep. Okay. But I really liked how it felt because it feels just really nice on your fingers and it just feels like really high quality. So I just want to step down to 120 pounds, which um, I think will be perfect because it'll be right in the middle where it's still thick enough where it feels substantial. It feels like a print that you could like Mm -hmm. rip out of the book and frame. (laughs) <laughs> um, <laughs> so but, it, so but it it's a, also is it glossy matte rag like what's the uh what's the medium so we did a matte finish because okay um overall that's the best look for my pictures i think um hmm. okay i didn't want them to be 
too shiny because I also feel like when stuff is super glossy, it feels kind of like plastic, like kind of cheap. Yeah, and I feel right, like sure. when it's more matte, it's more kind of like a painting, more kind of uh, maybe a little bit more old school feeling, which I really like. Um, it just feels like higher quality to me. That's just my personal preference. Did you have um, Did you have samples run of different the different types of medium to kind of arrive at that conclusion? No, it just comes from printing so much of my work in the past. I kind of already knew gotcha. what looked like best. Yeah, cool. Because yeah. I I print practically every portfolio image I have, I at least do an eight by 12 just to see that final product and have that experience of holding it in my hand. What do you do with those? They're in a big box. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, it's a cardboard box full, full of your best photographs. Yeah. They're just in there. But, um, (laughs) I just feel like it's an important experience to have. So like whenever I release a new gallery, I'll order all of them just eight by 12 on luster paper and, uh, just get to feel them and look at them and so that that prepared me a lot for printing a book because I was already super familiar with printing and how I needed to edit my images myself to prepare them for the book um yeah that makes resolution sharpness um making different adjustments with the colors and the brightness so that they would look just as good or even better I think they look better in the book than they do even on my website so wow that's cool I was kind of already prepared did you have to convert anything like to, cause it, isn't it CMYK for that kind of stuff? Like, did you have to do any file uh, tweaking to make it ready for the book or did you just use, like, how did that, how did that work? Just um, sRGB. So yeah, when they create like a PDF, it goes into CMYK, but when they put oh, it through okay. the printer, it goes back to sRGB. Like they say it's best not to uh, switch the color profile because um, the printer is going to read it the same anyways. So I didn't have to do that, and it turned out spot on. Okay, cool. Well, that's yeah. that's good to know. Yeah, I've always yeah. wondered about that too, because that seems like that would be kind of overwhelming. You know, how many photographs did you put into the book? So it's 168 pages total, but it has quite a bit of text. Um, there's about 30 images per section. Okay, nice. So roughly 120, like 128. Awesome, man. That's cool. Yeah, yeah man, that's gonna be. To talk about a just an experience of pride, you know, like you have this body of work, you want that body of work to kind of translate into something more meaningful than just the individual image that also promotes something that you believe strongly in and feel passionate about. And now you have this tangible product that, that kind of encapsulates that whole thing. I think that's that's just so incredible, man. Yeah. And I'm pretty harsh on myself with my work and stuff. Like I'm definitely my own worst critic, but this book, like when I was holding it in my hands for the first time, like I've never been more proud of anything I've ever produced before. And that was just like the most satisfying feeling I've ever had. That's so cool. It was just, yeah, just genuinely super happy with how it turned out. I mean, it, I feel like it honestly couldn't be better. Like it's just, I'm, yeah, I'm super proud of it. And I'm happy to get it out there and have people have it in their own homes. So super yeah, so, exciting to do. So how do people find out about it and order a copy for themselves and a copy for their mom? So it's available. <laughs> yeah, <you gotta laughs> get one for mom. Exactly. Um, it's available for pre-order right now. So okay. um, right now for the next month or so, it's available for pre-order. And all of the pre-order copies, I'm going to be personalizing them and hand signing them myself. Nice. Um, you know, just as a thank you for supporting the book before it's 
even out yet because pre-orders are, are really helpful when you're putting out a book, especially when you're doing it on your own. It just helps you get things moving a lot quicker as soon as the product comes in. So, And are those, uh, are those pre-orders, is there a limited number of them? No, there's not. So, um, yeah, just, uh, they, they can be found. It can be found on my website, um, just under the books section. So cool. Yeah. Yeah, I'll definitely link that in the show notes for sure. Yeah. So, you know, going through this process, like thinking into the future, do you have ideas for other books? Are you already thinking about, you know, what can I do differently next time or what is a different, um, type of book you would want to do or are you haven't even gotten there yet well no yeah it's funny you say that because i'm already working on the next two books that i'm gonna <laughs> oh, nice so, dude i i uh i have an interesting relationship with inspiration um it's either there or it's not and so i've learned that when inspiration comes you just gotta roll with it and go with it as long as it keeps coming so as soon as i finished this book just the writing inspiration was still coming so i started writing the next one started writing nice. another one as well. So I definitely have ideas to to do more books in the future. And I'm super excited to do that. And those projects, th- this book is kind of like a, I don't want to say retrospective because I haven't been shooting for my, you know, in a super long time, but it's, it's all kind of just my best work from 2016 until 2020. Mm-hmm. So it's images that people have seen before, but you can experience them in a different way. Um, but the new books that I'm going to be doing, I plan on doing them with perhaps like entirely of unreleased images. So hmm. have you ever thought about uh, doing a, a book that was like a collaboration with other photographers? Yeah, absolutely. Like I think it'd be super cool to do a book about a specific location and have like three or four photographers portfolios of that location just to show such unique perspectives of the same place. Like, I think that would be awesome. Yeah, me too. I think that would be fun. And also what a fun opportunity to just collaborate with other people and learn from them as well. Definitely. Like just recently, um, like the last gallery release I did, it was a collaboration with Jimmy Gekis. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, man, that's awesome. I love that guy. (laughs) Yeah. So it's just kind of the same idea. Um, I thought it'd be cool to show, because uh, that that gallery was based on like the Pacific Ocean. Because I was in New Zealand quite a bit earlier this year and into last year, and so I found myself on the coast because it's such a small place. So I was I wasn't like super interested in shooting the coast until I started seeing things. And I got like I'm from San Diego, so I've always loved the coast, but I got kind of tired of shooting it for a while. Right. But then like my love for it just came right back and started doing stuff. And then I had a plan to. Uh, go and shoot more stuff but because of lockdown and everything i wasn't able to travel like i thought so instead of putting out like kind of a half done gallery i decided to collaborate with one of my favorite photographers and um, introduce people to a photographer that they may not know you know the people that follow me i want to show them other awesome photographers that inspire me as well and uh, also just create a better gallery because his work is phenomenal so it totally um, complemented it i felt like yeah, I've been huge fan of Jimmy's work for a long time. And if I'm not mistaken, that's who you think we should have here on the podcast. <laughs> you definitely got to get him on. Like, I know he's probably reluctant to do so just because we all know Jimmy. But uh, it would be so beneficial to everybody that could listen to it. Like, even me, I would love to listen to that and just hear more, um, you know, hear him talk about his approach to photography because his work is just 
so unique and so personal and so well done. It's like just so classy. I, I can't get enough of it. So yeah, I'm the same. Anyone listening right now, like if you haven't checked out Jimmy's work, you got to go on his website right now and check it all out. Like he has amazing stuff from the coast. Amazing. Like one of the best Aspen tree portfolios ever. I agree. Right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah actually and, uh, my favorite, uh, I mean, I, I shoot Colorado every fall and my absolute favorite, uh, Colorado Aspen photograph is Jimmy's shot. Um, and I was actually on that trip with him, but I was busy getting my car unstuck out of a ditch while he was taking <laughs> it. But that's a whole other story. But it's it's it was one of these magical moments where there was all this fog um, that had settled into the valley we're in, and and he and the it was kind of late in the season, and he had found like this tree that had dropped all of its leaves except for like two. And there was all of these aspen trees behind it that were shrouded in fog. And he isolated these two leaves with all these aspen branches or aspen trunks behind it, um, super oaked out. And it's just, uh, I, every time I see it, I'm like, oh, that shot. So good. It's, yeah. I, yeah, that's the only description I can give you. It's just that good. <laughs> yeah. Having him on here would just be great for everyone, I think. Yeah, man. Yeah, I agree. Well, man, this has been awesome, brother. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been cool that we could do this again now that we know each other more. Because last time I barely knew who you were, and I hadn't met you in person or anything. So it's yeah, fun man. to come back and chat with you again and catch up. And yeah, are you gonna are you gonna come back out at all this fall? I'm thinking about it because I mean, man, I've been like so cooped up. I'm sure. <laughs> everybody else knows but uh yeah it's been insane like the last trip i did like last proper trip i did was in march in new zealand and luckily or no late february and like i was so lucky to squeeze that in because after that was when everything just went crazy and you couldn't go anywhere and so game over (laughs) i didn't do anything for the longest time and then uh last week and i went to alaska for a few days just with my dad and my brothers to do like deep sea fishing. And I took my camera along and I didn't really shoot anything, but it was just so nice to be out right. in some wilderness just, again just and be outside <laughs> smelling fresh air. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I've been trying to get out again as much as I can, just domestic stuff for this year. So Colorado is just like five hour drive from here. So I think I'll definitely be going out there for at least a week or something. Yeah, I'll definitely be out again this year because I was going to be out of Acadia, but um not going to be there this, this time. So I'll be out shooting fall colors again. Yeah, we'll have to meet up. And uh, one one nice thing about being in lockdown was the uh, the Zoom chats we were having with all the boys. I know, we should do those again. What the heck? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what happened. I think everybody like went back to work and uh, just got tired. And Right. But it'd be I awesome st- to meet up with everyone again. Yeah, I scared everyone off. yeah i gotta get the colorado crew together though last year was super fun it was fun man i mean it's how can you be you know camping drinking beers cooking taking photographs hiking driving around like it's there's doesn't get much better than that and the weather is just perfect in the fall oh it's the perfect camping weather yeah so yeah i need it um I'm it's stoked come. to get out tomorrow. I'm going to take off early in the morning to go to the Wind Rivers. But uh, Oh, am I supposed to bleep that out? The yeah, definitely. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. 
I'll, I'll but, try uh, to figure out how to do that. <laughs> yeah, finally starting to get out again and take some pictures. It's been it's been rough. It's been really rough. But uh, what can yeah, you do? Man. What can you do? All right, man. Well, thanks again for coming on, and we'll make sure we get links to the book on the uh, the show notes. And I would encourage anyone who has questions for Eric about the book or his thought process behind how he wanted to showcase his work and how he wrote about his work, I would encourage you to reach out. And who knows, maybe you'll develop a relationship with a cool dude. <laughs> yeah, and if uh, anybody is kind of thinking of doing a similar project and they want to reach out to me and ask questions, I'm super happy to help. It was all like brand new to me. And I didn't have like anybody to ask questions except for William Neal. So I'm super grateful that he was able to help me with this book. Um, he gave me a lot of great suggestions and yeah. critiques on it. So I'm happy to do the same. Um, there's a lot that goes into it. So everybody's going to have questions when they do something like this. Right. And I'm sure there's tons of different approaches. Even if you have you done one book, you probably would do it a little bit differently next time based on kind of what you learned the first time. So. It's true for sure. Yeah. It's yeah. a learning experience. Right. Awesome, dude. Well, keep up the good work and I, I'm looking forward to seeing the actual physical book. I think that's going to be awesome. Yeah, man. Thanks a lot for having me on and it's great chatting with you and uh, yeah, a great job with the podcast. Keep it up. Cool. Thanks brother. All right. Well, thanks to Eric for joining me this week on the podcast to catch up. I was not joking in the introduction. I think you're one of the best landscape photographers to emerge in the past decade. I admire your passion, your approach, and greatly appreciate your friendship. Hey, that's what this pursuit is all about, right? I also want to thank our latest patron, Tara Workman. Tara is a wonderful photographer and you should check out her work over on Instagram. I also want to take the time to thank the people we like to call our Patreon podcast producers. Their generous support is really helping keeping the podcast going. I've met many of these people, and they are really awesome people, and you should check out their stuff if you recognize their names. Or you can go over to my website, to the podcast section, and look for links to their websites. You too can help support the show. Even at $5 a month, you're making a huge impact. I also just enabled annual payment options, so if you want to save 15% on your patronage, you should check that out. Without further ado, thank you to Gary Randall, David Kingham, Jack Curran, Eric Stensland, Jeff Peterson, Charlotte Gibb, Ken Dono, James Bakavoy, Anton Everine, Lori Berenson, William Nurse, Richard Wong, Matthias Joland, Suzanne Mathia, Frank Otto Peterson, Michael Rung, John Whitaker, Jason Clardy, Joshua Wallace, Drew Armstrong, Jim Valencourt, Jennifer King, Andrew Hawkins, Craig Young, Adam Bulliard, Michael DeMiola, and Chuck Mora. You are all awesome people. All right, well, next up on the podcast, we have my friend Michael Remke. Michael is an environmental scientist by training and a landscape photographer through passion. He uniquely marries these two pursuits in an interesting philosophical exchange worth looking into. I record with him tomorrow and I'm really excited to see where it takes us. That's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week.